One of the most impactful movies I've ever seen was the movie Saving Private Ryan. Now, the movie Saving Private Ryan is about is a story about Private Ryan. Ryan was a well, the movie set in with the coming of the Allies to take over Europe or Nazi-occupied Europe. And Ryan was just this private in the American army. He wasn't that special. He wasn't a great leader. He, he wasn't important to the overall scope of seeing the Nazis kicked out of Europe. Ryan, Private Ryan, was just a grunt, an ordinary American soldier serving in his unit. And the movie is about saving this relatively unknown and unimportant guy because what had happened to his family was all his three brothers, of which he's the fourth, his three brothers had died in the conflict. And so the story is about another sergeant who is sent on this mission to save Private Ryan, who is in somewhere in Europe, well, Nazi-occupied Europe, and they want to save him. And it follows the story of what this sergeant thinks is important to do to save Private Ryan. And he comes and eventually finds Private Ryan, and he's in a group in an, uh, of, of soldiers, and they're tasked with stopping the Nazis' capture, this insignificant bridge uh, that will slow down the, the the occupation forces from attacking the Americans, from counter-attacking. So that's their one job. And they say to Private Ryan, and it's Tom Hanks's character, you've got to come with us, all your brothers are dead, which wouldn't be great news, all your brothers are dead, and it's important that your whole family doesn't die, so we're asking to pull you out. And Ryan says, no, I'm not going. I'm going to stay with my unit. And we've been asked to defend this and reaching this goal, though we're unimportant, we see our goal is to defend this bridge and stop the Nazis from coming. So I'm not leaving anybody behind, even though my whole family is dead. And so Tom Hanks, and they've lost their leadership, so Tom Hanks's character takes leadership. And his goal is twofold. He wants to stop the Nazis crossing the bridge, but more important to him than stopping the Nazis crossing this bridge is to save the life of this insignificant private. And the movie's set up deliberately to show that these goals don't seem to be important, but there's something bigger going on behind the scene. And that is the sergeant understands, or Tom Tom Hanks's character understands, that... It's not just about this insignificant little uh, nobody, Ryan, it, protecting this insignificant bridge. It's that the way they win the war, that the values that they are fighting for is that the whole group, the whole fabric of America, of which this one little private of this unknown little family in the middle of nowhere, that they are as important to the whole of the American society as he and his family, uh, as the sergeant's family is. And so he is willing to lay his life down for the sake of this bigger picture, this bigger goal, for the sake of the nation, so that this private and his family will not be lost 
and the fabric of the nation and the things they value continue. Now today we're looking at collaboration. We're looking at working together and working together for the whole. The Ryan family was part of the American fabric. It was part of what made the nation important. And losing just a part of it, they would lose something fundamental about themselves. And he was willing, Tom Hanks's character was willing to lay down his life so that the whole would continue. Today we're looking about how we, how God has called us and put us together as a whole and that it's not one member or this member that's important, but that we together are meant to walk and work together for the sake of the glory of Christ and how God has put us together and how we are to think about the way God has put us together in such a way that we are caring for one another, that we all attain God's purposes and God's goals as we serve one another. Now, as we've been going through this series, and I know this is after Christmas that we'll be hearing this message, but we've been looking at, we've seen how God is working through the church, and we've been looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 1 to 16, and we're picking out themes and ideas and going deep into this passage to understand what is going on. We're seeing that God has this grand sweep. We saw this from Ephesians 1 to 3. Grand sweeping plan for the salvation of all the creation. And then we saw God's unity and we've seen the diversity that we're, though we are to work together, that we're a diverse group of people. And I'm going to be really just focusing in this talk on verses 11 through to 16 and just deep diving here. And we're looking at how God has set up each member of the church, how God has placed each member of the church together so that we will work together to reach his goal, his purposes. And we start off and we see as we move into verse 11 that it is Christ himself that is equipped and placed each member of the church, has gifted each member of the church for the sake of the whole. Christ has given and equipped each member of the church for the sake of the whole. We read in verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now when I first read this, I'm like, okay, God has given the gifts. But you can quickly lose or gloss over the first three words and where Paul says, and he himself. He is emphasizing the sovereignty of God who has placed each and every member, who is giving out each and every member of the church different gifts and different purposes for the sake of the whole. The big vision, the big view that God has on place here or that Paul places here is that God is sovereign and that he is organizing each and every aspect. God is working out each of his purposes, each of his decisions to reach his one goal. And he gives us all a diverse number of gifts. He's given the church 
groups of people. He's given pastors. He's given evangelists. He's made the apostles in the past so that we would have the body of teaching that will continue to work and encourage and nourish the church. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, it's not about the ministry that the ministers do. Minister just means servant. That's what the word means, to serve. God has called us all into service. Sometimes we think, well, should I go into full-time ministry or not? Here's the truth. Every Christian is called to full-time ministry. Every Christian is called to serve to use their abilities, to use their talents, to use their interests for the sake of the whole. See, the diversity that we have, the diversity that exists in the church is very deliberate from God because our different gifts, our different abilities, the things that matter to us, the things that we find interesting, God has given us so he can place us and put us in the different aspects and talk to the different people in church and outside of the church, so as to see the whole church built up together. Our world has a, a view of, of equality, and that's the big thing and the big thing you hear in our culture. We need equality. And what equality means in the world and what they mean by it is it ends up being sameness, that everybody has to be the same. We're only equal if we're the same. God has made us different. You know, people like different things. Each of God's people like to do different things. Each of God's people have different interests. And then God uses those and is placing those together to place us in communities, place us in positions, so that we continue the role of ministry where and where, where and when God places us. We are meant to be different. We are meant to be diverse. And that diversity is the very thing that allows God to call people from around the world, to call people from around our community. That we be a part and we tell every aspect and every person the great news of Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. Not one of us. There is no one in our church that is capable of reaching the whole of Inglebourne. It's just impossible. I don't care if we had the best evangelist on the planet in our church, which we don't, but even if we did, it doesn't matter. They could not do it. We are meant to be together. We are all meant to go out and serve God and to tell people the good news, to equip people in our weaknesses, in our frailties. God has called us together in all our diversity and he has called certain ministers, certain people, to equip each other, to encourage each other for the building up of the body. Why? Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature 
measured by Christ's fullness. See, that is why we're equipping each other, so that we all become mature in our knowledge of God and measuring up to the full fullness of Christ, to the full fullness of his character, of his glory. Because as we minister to each other, as we encourage and build each other up, as we take on the maturity, the responsibility of executing the service that God has called us to. So we can sometimes think, oh, I'm not doing much. My role's not important. I'm just a simple Christian teaching the gospel to my family and to the few, to my few friends. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is amazing. That is what we've been called to do. God has placed each and every one of us and given us the relationships we share both in the church and outside of the church. So as to see we all take, and this is what maturity is, take the responsibility of serving and fulfilling the charges that we've been called to do. If you're a father, if you're a mother, you have been called to the responsibility of executing and loving your family, not killing them, but filling out the charge of seeing them mature in Christ. It's the greatest privilege you can have. One of the great joys as I continue to get older, and I talk about my family and my kids a bit, but it's because I see the importance of seeing them grow up to be mature and faithful citizens in the world. The time I get to spend with my children and the time I get to see them growing up and taking on the responsibilities and me encouraging them to take on responsibilities, that is a joy. The older I get, the more time I love spending and seeing my children grow because it's not about me. It is about them. It's about seeing them grow into the fullness of Christ, to grow into the maturity of his son. And as we do that, as we serve one another, God works in us and changes us that we take on a different view of the world, that it's not about us, that it is about the other and about the glory of God. And as we mature, as we learn to take on the responsibilities and discharge the services we have, we will show the glory of Christ. That is the way God works in amongst his people, that we learn to grow up. And then he moves into the reason, the purpose from this. And when you look at verse verses 11 through to 16, you've got to understand Paul doesn't write in short sentences. In the original language, this is all one sentence because Paul likes brevity. Jokes. He then goes on in verse 14 and he says, then we will no longer be children. Then we will all together grow. We are not to do maturity alone. We are all meant to grow together. 
And then we won't be, and I love the imagery here. We're not going to be little children. We're not going to be tossed to and fro. The waves are not going to be blow us around. We're not going to be caught up with every wind of teaching that passes away or passes through. I love going to the beach. I, I do, and I, I, you know, I enjoy swimming. I grew up swimming. My dad used to take us when I was young down to the beach all the time because he grew up at the beach. And so we, even though we grew up out at Catherine Fields, which has no beach, we did have a creek, but we had no beach. Um, we would go to the beach often and we, and I used to love swimming in the waves and I still do. But it's interesting, my kids who we haven't taken to the beach as much and aren't as confident in swimming as my dad who took us to swimming training every single day. Not that I feel bitter or twisted about it. Anyway, who took us swimming every single day, uh, they weren't as confident in the water. And so when we go to the beach, they're, they're, they're worried about the waves. They're scared about the waves. Why? Because they, they sit on the top of the waves and the waves come and knock them over and they're terrified. Where me, when the waves come, I think they're awesome because I, because I was learnt through age and through practice of swimming that, yeah, you just dive under and the wave goes straight over the top. And you just, yeah, you feel the effect somewhat, but it, it's just washes over like, Water off a duck's back. That's the imagery Paul wants us to have. We are to be mature. We are to not be caught up with every wave of teaching that comes along, that we are to duck dive, to go under it, and then just wash false teaching as it comes, that we're not tossed and like a boat on a, on a, on a uh, sea caught in a storm that's tossed here and there. When we were up at uh, the our staff retreat last year, we saw the big winds come and the boats on top and then we saw a boat get swamped and sink because it just tried to stay on top and it went under. But if you're underneath the waves, they just you don't feel them. You don't feel the wind. We are to grow up. We are to be mature. We are not to be caught by every wind of teaching that comes along. I was watching a video this week of uh, Hillsong and the preacher, it wasn't Brian Houston, it was somebody else, and it was an American preacher called Craig Grishel. And apparently Craig Grishel has the biggest church in America, something like 80,000 people come to his church every Sunday and it's like the biggest church. And he got up and he was teaching it and he taught from Proverbs. And this is from the Word of God. It's from the King James Version. And he said, where there is no vision, the people perish. And I'm watching this video and I'm at breakfast and he says this and and Trudy goes, "What what are you listening to? And I'm like, I'm just watching this guy carry on and you know take take God's word out of out of context it's really funny and she goes oh okay good and you could see that she visibly relaxed because I didn't buy what he was selling but this is what the passage says you can look up the King James version it's uh 21 Proverbs 21 verse 8 where there is no vision the people perish and then Craig Goshell goes on see what we need is a vision and without some vision you're going to die 
And I said to Trudy, oh, what it's really going to say is something like where there is no law or where God hasn't been prophesying, then the people will be, will be dying because without the word of God, they'll run wild. Well, then, then the video went on to show that actually that's exactly what he's done because if you look at the very next part of verse 21.8, that's exactly what it says. Without God's word, people will die, that they will take it out of context. But so many people will buy this and that you watch teachers going, where there is no vision, the people perish. Mind you, the word behind the vision can be taken as revelation or word or uh, a message from God, but that doesn't work for them. So they stick the word vision in there because it, it helps them convey not what God says, but they, what they want to say. Every teacher who wants to provide or lie about God's word, the quickest and easy way to lie about God's word is to take some of God's word, take it out of context and say what you want. No, we are to be mature. We are to hear what people say and then go back and check it and reflect upon it. Because every time that came up on the the passage came up on the screen in the video, it didn't come in context. Didn't tell you, uh, most of them didn't even tell you where it came from. You had to track it down. But as soon as you did, you realised, oh, they're lying. They're false teachers. We are not to be caught out by human cunning. And the word cunning is very similar to the word that Paul, uh, that God uses this Genesis 3 to describe the serpent in the garden. It's cunning. It's deceitful. It's meant to trick and lead you astray. No, we are to work together. We are to see every person grow into the maturity of Christ because it is God who, verse 16, from him the whole body The whole church is fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. Promotes the growth of the body for building up, for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, as we mature and we realize that we are part of a group, we are part of a whole, you know, the word church means to gather. It means to be together. We're not supposed to try and do things on our own. We're not supposed to work separately. It's not about me. It was interesting even as I was preparing this sermon and I was just reading through uh, Genesis 3 in the original language and it was fascinating that straight after the man sins that the first time you hear the first person pronoun used in the Bible is when Adam says to God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid and and I, and that's where you first time see the word I, I hid. See, sin, when we sin, we, we deny that we are part of a group. We deny we are part of a whole. We seek to work separately to the groups and the people we are with. 
we can sometimes think, well, I'm weak, I'm not important. How do I contribute? I can say to you, quite honestly, these last three weeks I've been quite ill and I haven't been able to do as much as I would like or I had planned, certainly nowhere near as planned. But because I'm in a team with Dave and Jay, they've been able to pick up the pieces that I've, I've had to let go as I've had to recover from illness. We are meant to work together in our weaknesses, in our frailties. Because God knows we are not meant to walk alone. Trudy and I have this cute little saying that we say to each other. We keep on saying we are team bear tigress. Gosh, it's sappy and it's, it's a bit ridiculous and people laugh at us and mock us. It's a joy to be a part of Team Bear Tigers. It's a delight to be on Team Bear Tigers. That's our marriage. We are a part of Team Barney's. We are meant to work together to see each of us grow into the full maturity and fullness of Christ. You matter to us. Because God has placed us together to see this church grow, to see his body matured and supported and cared for. Every single one of us has been placed here for the sake of the whole. You might not think you're important. You are. Christ has died for you and brought you into this body, brought you into this group. You matter to us. And as we work together, as we encourage one another, as we see and support one another, as we work towards the fullness of Christ, we're not to leave anybody behind because like in the movie of Saving Private Ryan, where it was the whole of the nation where every family mattered and was important to the nation. Every single one of us is important to Christ's church and Christ's body. And God wants us to work and encourage each other as we see the day approaching so that we grow into the fullness of Christ. We are part of Team Barney's. And we will work together for the sake and glory of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your church and we thank you for your people. We thank you that you have made us Team Barneys. And we pray, Father, as your group that you have placed here for the sake of calling people into a knowledge and right relationship of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Help us encourage each other, mature us so that the false winds of teaching might blow us here or there. But in maturity, we'll allow the false teachings to roll over us as we continue to work and encourage and build each other up in Christ. All the more as we see the day approaching, all the more that we encourage each other that we will grow in the full maturity of Christ, giving glory and praise 
to our Lord and Saviour. And we ask this in his name. Amen.